If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. It's towards the back of your Old Testament. It's on page 575 in your Pew Bible. We are finishing up uh, this morning our study through the book of Jonah. Uh, We've been in Jonah since the beginning of the year. We will begin our study in the book of Galatians starting next week, which will take us through the summer. Jonah chapter 4. This is God's word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you not do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it cover up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that, it, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What a crazy way to end the book. (laughs) And also much cattle. This is God's word. Let me ask God to bless us through his spirit. Uh, during our time this morning. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that your word uh, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so would you take this passage this morning, take it off the pages here, and put it into our hearts, pierce our hearts with this passage. Lord, change us, lead us to conviction, lead us to change, and uh, challenge us, and Point us to your great mercy for people. In your great mercy, uh, show us the great mercy that you have had on us as well. Be with us this morning through your spirit. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. My, my, how quickly things have changed in the book of Jonah. You were here last week. We looked at chapter 3. And Jonah's heart was beating right along with God's heart. Jonah was that great revival preacher who went and preached the gospel to Nineveh and the whole city turned and trusted in God. And if you're like me, you're thinking that would be a great ending to the book of Jonah. Jonah, the runaway prophet, 
turns and run, comes back to God and experiences his grace and then goes and preaches about that grace and all the people come to faith. What a great ending. I love happy endings in movies. I love when things get tied up really nice, nice and neat at the end of a movie. And if you're like me, um, Jonah is very unsatisfying because that's not what we see in the book of Jonah. Not only is it unsatisfying, you could say that the end of the book of Jonah is deeply disturbing. Jonah, the great prophet, the great preacher that led the great revival, now in chapter 4 is the whiny, pouty brat that's sitting outside the city because he's so angry at what God is doing and how he's showing mercy on the Ninevites. So Jonah is back to chapter 1, back to square one, so to speak. And so the question that we need to ask, and we're going to do it right here from the get-go, is what happened? What happened to the Jonah of chapter 3? Didn't Jonah really repent? Let me stop here for a second. The word repent, I'm going to use a lot this morning. What does that word mean? We don't want to just assume. We want to define our terms. It means that you turn from your sin and you throw yourself on the mercy of God. That's repentance. So didn't Jonah repent and experience God's grace in the fish in chapter 2 and then go share that grace in chapter 3? Of course he did. Let's not pretend that Jonah is the only one in the world that has ever repented and struggled again. Anybody else ever repented and struggled again here this morning? Yes. Jonah really did receive God's grace in the fish. He really did turn and was obedient and went and shared the gospel with the Ninevites. But Jonah's repentance wasn't perfect, just like your repentance isn't perfect either. See, there were still places in Jonah's heart that needed to be changed by the grace of God. Jonah's repentance was not as thorough as maybe we once thought, or maybe as much as he thought. And honestly, as we read the end of the book, I mean, on one hand, yeah, I'm, it is sobering, but on the other hand, if I'm honest, this last chapter, I'm so glad it's in the Scriptures. Because this is deeply comforting to me, because I don't know about you, but oftentimes I feel a lot like Jonah. I feel like I have lots of places in my heart that still need a lot of work. See, we often think that growth in the Christian life is this ascent, this consistent ascent upward and onward, triumphant, to never, once we become a Christian, it's that, that constant descent, and we never struggle again. But hopefully, you know that that is not true. Look at the life of David. Look at Peter in our study of the book of John, and we see it here in the book of Jonah. No, instead, the Christian life often and looks like what we see in Jonah. Two or three steps forward, and then five steps back. Yes, Jonah is comforting on the one hand, but let's honestly, it is also concerning and convicting and sobering as well. Look at verses 2 through 3. Look at how he talks about God. He, that's a quote we're going to look at later from Exodus 34. Jonah knows God. He's a prophet. He's a preacher. He can tell you what God is like. But he resents God. 
He resents what God is like. And this is a warning for all of us this morning. It's a warning for those who know a lot of theology and know a lot about God and can be the answer man in all of our small groups whenever God comes up and theology questions comes up. You can come here and you can sit here every single morning and, and on Sundays and you can be used by God to actually, think about Jonah, to bring people to faith in him, but you can have a heart at the very same time that is actually far from God. And that is scary and terrifying. See, what we learn in Jonah chapter 4 is that God is after more than just right actions in our lives. He is, act, he is after our hearts. He wants our heart to beat like his heart. He wants our heart, and even as a church, so think corporately, but also think individually. He wants our heart to be shaped like his. What is the shape of God's heart? Look at verses 2 and 3. Compassion and mercy and steadfast love and grace and patience. And that is to overflow God's heart into our heart. And it is to flow through us into the world around us and into our city. And here's the question. How in the world does that happen? How how do we make our heart God's heart? Well, three things this morning. We've got to repent of our pride. Secondly, we've got to repent of our comfort. And thirdly and finally, we've got to rest in his mercy. Let's look at number one, repent of our pride. Verse one, it's really, you see the nuances here. Jonah, right from the get-go, we know exactly where Jonah is, and he's not in the place he was in chapter 3. He begins, and he's full of anger, and he's full of displeasure. Notice your footnote if you've got an ESV. Follow the footnote, and you'll see that it reads, it was extremely and exceedingly evil to Jonah. Hang with me. The word there is the same word used in chapter 3, verse 8, to describe the evil ways you can refer to it, to to describe the evil ways of the Ninevites. But they repented. And they turned back to God, and God relented uh, the disaster that he threatened. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now who's the only one in the story that is left with evil? It's the Hebrew prophet. It's the preacher. And he's fuming, and he's angry, And he's full of displeasure. Why? Because the city of sinners, his enemies to be more specific, repent and turn back to God and God relents the disaster that he promises uh, would come to them. Look at verses 2 and 3. Then he prays the prayer. God, I knew you were like this. I knew you were going to relent. I knew you were gracious and compassionate and full of mercy. But here's what's interesting. Jonah is describing and pulling a verse out of Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And if you were to refer to that, you would see that Jonah leaves something out in these lines here. He leaves out the lines as he's describing God about God's justice towards sin. And in doing so, he shows his hand, doesn't he? Because here's what Jonah is getting at. God, you've lost your mind. How dare you share mercy, show mercy uh, to them? Your mercy has gone off the rails. See, he thinks God has gone soft on sin. Jonah knows he's a sinner, 
okay, and deserves mercy. He just doesn't think the Ninevites deserve mercy because he thinks they're worse sinners. How dare you, God, save those people? Don't you know who they are? And don't you know what they've done? We're the Israelites. We're God's chosen people. You see, Jonah doesn't want God to be true to himself. Verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? We see that show up again in verse 9. He's basically saying, God is saying, are you justified in your anger? God is looking at Jonah and saying, Jonah, you've got a heart problem. I'm giving you an EKG. Something's wrong with your heart because your heart is not in line and in the shape of my heart. You are not justified in your anger. You're angry, Jonah, because I loved and showed mercy to the Ninevites. You've forgotten that you would not be here, Jonah, unless I also shared that same mercy and poured that same mercy out on you. Jonah, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten that you too are a sinner in need of deep and great and wide mercy. You know who Jonah is? He's the elder brother. And the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, you remember the story, we looked at it in the summer, but the younger brother um, squanders his inheritance away, he runs away uh, to loose living to prostitutes. Uh, he goes to Vegas, we said, and he squanders it away and he comes to his senses as, as he's at the bottom of the pig pen. And he runs back in repentance to God. And remember, the father runs and greets him and throws a robe on him and a ring on him and throws him the biggest party that you've ever seen in your life and remember where the elder brother was. He's angry. He's got his face pressed up against the door on the outside because he refuses to go in because how dare the father show grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. You see, the father showed mercy to the younger son, and the elder brother didn't think he was worthy of that grace and mercy. Friends, that is Jonah in this passage this morning. Two points of application. One personal and one for our city. Let's look at the first. What does this mean for you personally? Well, at first glance, it's easy to look at this story and think, Jonah's just being whiny. This is bizarre. Jonah's just petty. And and this can seem really distant and really far from us. But don't walk that path of self-righteousness too quickly. Yes, Jonah's for sure being childish in this story. But the reality is, this is our hearts this morning. We're just more sophisticated and can cover it up better. Here's the question. Who would it in your life or around you, a group of people or a person in your life, that if they received mercy, it would bother you? Who is that in your life? Do you wallow in self-pity? Do you wallow and pout when other people enjoy the goodness of God around you? Does it bother you when your loose-living or wild-living co-worker who doesn't live according to God's ways, who wants nothing to do with God, but they always come out on top and they end up getting what it is that you want. 
You see, we often think that we're better than them because we don't think they put in the time with God. We don't think that they've earned their keep, so to speak, and they do things that we cannot stand. But here's my question. Would you be at their baptism? Or would you be there, but maybe you would be gritting your teeth? Would you be the first to celebrate them? Or would you be outside the party, so to speak, furious that God had shown mercy to them? Friends, if we would not celebrate them, then like Jonah, we have forgotten the mercy of God. We have forgotten God's mercy in our life. Secondly, for our city, an application for our city. God loves Birmingham, Alabama. God has compassion for Birmingham, Alabama. And you know, I think sometimes that we live in over-the-mountain Birmingham and in the suburbs, and our tendency is to think, Look at Birmingham City. Those poor people. They really need God's compassion and mercy. But we don't need it that much. I mean, things are pretty good here. We live in the suburbs. Friends, that is a lie. There is tragedy in Mountain Brook. There is tragedy in Shelby County and in Hoover and in Vestavia and in Homewood. It looks differently. Absolutely it looks differently. But friends, Nineveh's not there in Birmingham City. Nineveh's here in over the mountain Birmingham. We need God's mercy. We need God's compassion just as much as Birmingham City needs God's compassion. So you know what this means, don't you? Well, it means that we can no longer be smug, and no longer be cynical about the city and particularly about the city politicians. You see, if this tells us anything, that if our hearts are to be shaped like God's heart, it means that the only posture, the only posture we can take towards our city and towards our neighborhoods is one of mercy and one of compassion. Secondly, Our hearts are to be like God's heart. We've got to repent of our pride. And then secondly, we've got to repent of our comfort. Look at verse 6. God provides an object lesson for Jonah. He's appointed all sorts of things through the book of Jonah if you've been here. He appoints a plant here, but he's appointed the storm and he appointed the fish. He'll later appoint the wind and a worm. I want you to think about God in appointing the plant, God's compassion and gentleness. How do you respond when people are pouty and whiny and spoiled brats? Well, I don't respond like God responds. God responds in gentleness and compassion and gives them a plant. And here's what I want you to notice. Jonah was exceedingly glad at the plant. But notice the contrast here. He was exceedingly angry when God showed compassion on other people. But he was exceedingly glad when God showed compassion on him. He was exceedingly glad that led him to delight. 
Look at verses 7 and 8. This is kind of humorous. There's some humor all the way through the book of Jonah. But now God appoints the worm and the wind, and they become a rude awakening for Jonah because when the sun rises, the plant that Jonah loved and was exceedingly glad about is withering away and dying. And then here comes the east wind, and Jonah had to have thought, yes, finally, God, you're doing what I wanted you to do. That that east wind is going to scorch the Ninevites. East wind wasn't for Nineveh, was it? It was for Jonah to bring him discomfort. And Jonah, again, is exceedingly angry and wants to die. Why? Because his heart's not beating with God's heart. Jonah cared more about his comfort than he cared about people. God puts his finger right in the middle of Jonah's heart and puts it on his idol of comfort. Friends, God's not just talking to Jonah this morning. He's also talking to me. He's also talking to you, isn't he? Can we talk? This passage leveled me this week. I've seen this passage coming for the past couple of weeks in our study of the book of Jonah, and I was dreading it because I knew it would cut me to the heart. Why? Because it's true of me. You want to know the idol that's at the top of my list? It's an idol of comfort. And I'm guessing that it's at at least in your top three. Because where we live and over the mountain Birmingham. And I want to be careful here. Let's do a little theology of comfort. Comfort in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. Think about it. God gives us the gift of comfort because we live in a hard world that is broken and is full of pain and everything's oftentimes painful. Work is hard. Sometimes relationship and marriages are hard and we need a place to rest from the brokenness of the world and so God gives us the gift of comfortable things. But it crosses a line and becomes dangerous when we start to worship comfort and when we use comfort in order to escape and hide from reality from the reality of a broken world. It becomes dangerous when we use comfort in order to shield us from doing what God's called us to do. Or when we use comfort in order to plug our ears up and ignore what God tells us to do with our lives in the Bible. It becomes dangerous when we make an idol out of it. How do you know if you've made an idol out of comfort? You know you've made an idol out of anything when you get angry when it's taken away. What happens with Jonah? When his comfort's taken away... He suddenly gets furious and disappointed with God, so much so that he wants to die. You know what this passage is really getting at? It's getting at this question. What moves you this morning? Honestly, what are you really passionate about? What really gets your juices flowing and gets you really excited? You know what we often get excited about? A new kitchen, or a better car, or an exotic vacation, or a big bonus, or recognition, or promotions. Listen, none of those are bad. Those are all very good things, and they're gifts from God. 
But my point is so often, and this is true of me, we get the most excited about the things that make our lives easier. And God calls us to get excited about what makes someone else's life easier. There's a book, Blue Like Jazz. It's an old book by Donald Miller, and I don't agree with everything Donald Miller says, but he's got some really good illustrations, and here's one. He has this quote, and he says this in Blue Like Jazz, the most powerful addiction on the planet is the addiction to self. And he says, the greatest lie any of us has to battle is that life is a story about me. My life felt like that once, he says, that life was a story about me because I was in every scene. In fact, I was the only one in every scene. And if someone walked into my scene, it would frustrate me. Think about Jonah. Because they were disrupting the general theme of my play, namely my comfort. And listen to what he goes on. It's pretty funny. Remember, his name's Donald. He says, I discovered that my mind is like a radio station that only picks up one station, and the station is K-D-O-N, all Don, all the time. Humorous, but very convicting, isn't it? So often, that's my heart. My heart has a radio station that only picks up one station, and maybe yours is like that too, but it's our station. And that we often live a story that's only about us, and when someone comes and messes with our comfort, like Jonah, we become angry and we become furious. You see, God's teaching Jonah, and he wants to teach us this morning and show us that it's very easy for us to build our own kingdom of comfort and to neglect the most important thing, and that's people. Where is this true of you this morning? Does it, do you have a heart that beats only for yourself? Do you have a heart that beats Also for other people. Thirdly, we want to have a heart shaped like God's heart. We've got to rest in God's mercy. Look at verses 9 through 11. We see Jonah's compassion here contrasted with God. Jonah's compassion contrasted with God's compassion. Look at verse 10. The Lord asked Jonah, basically saying, Jonah, stop and think for a second. Why are you so entitled Where did you get your rights from, Jonah? You didn't make the plant. You didn't labor over this plant. You didn't cause it to grow or to nurture it. You had it for one night, and you're filled with compassion because it perished. Let me stop the tape. This is important. So Jonah was concerned about things dying. Okay? He was concerned about perishing. The problem was Jonah was just concerned about the death of a plant rather than the death of people. And so his passions were misaligned, and his heart was not in beat with God's heart. Verse 11, And should I not pity Nineveh? You see how he's contrasting there. He's saying, wait a minute, Jonah, you had compassion on a plant that you did not make, that you did not uh, create and cause to grow, Don't I have the right and shouldn't I have compassion 
on people that I've toiled over, that I've wept over, and that I actually did create. I even created the cattle. That's what he means in the last verse. I even created them, and I care about them and what happens to them. We're talking about 120,000 people, Jonah. And what is Jonah's response? We don't know. It's left open-ended, and it invites you into the story to answer the question. The book of Nahum and the book of Jonah are the only two books in the Bible that end with a question, and both of those books concern Nineveh. Listen to what one commentator said. Did Jonah eventually take the heart lesson learned from this counseling session with God? The text does not say. The annals of history are silent. Scripture is silent. At any rate, the intention is clear. The question is put to the reader. What are your passions? Is God's heart your heart? You see, this is hard, isn't it? Because very clearly, if we're honest, we recognize ourselves in the story of Jonah, don't we? See, the hard truth of this story is that I'm Jonah. And you're Jonah. And all of us, think about the king of Nineveh, the high places, to the runaway prophet, to self-absorbed people from the greatest to the least. All of us this morning need the mercy of God to be poured into our lives and into our hearts so that our heart will start beating like his heart. So you become a person that shows mercy and your heart gets fixed, so to speak. Not when you focus on yourself and how you can get better and all the things you need to do to be a more caring person and to care about the city. No, you fix your heart when you focus on God's heart. When you focus on him and his mercy to you. What's God's heart like? Verses 2 and 3 again. Compassionate and steadfast love and mercy for evil people like the Ninevites. And for evil people like us. And the bigness of God's heart and his heart of mercy and how wide it is. It's found in the New Testament with the outstretched arms of Jesus. When God puts on flesh and he spreads his arms. And he doesn't sit outside the city like Jonah. But he hangs outside the city. For lost people that do not know him. Who mock him and who spit upon him. That's God's heart. That's who he is. He longs to show mercy. And he longs to show the mercy to the people uh, in Jonah's time. And he longs to show mercy to people right now in 2018. And in order for our heart to be like God's heart, God's mercy must pour into your life. We talked about this last week. You've got to experience it personally. And when it pours into your life, it flows through you into the lives of the people around you. My voice might make it two more minutes. <clears throat> I used this before, <clears throat> but I also used it with our youth a few weeks ago in their conference that I did for them, the youth conference. If you wanted to just kind of a big picture summary of the book of Jonah, an application, is God calls his people to be baskets, not buckets. That's it. 
Think about the difference in a basket and a bucket. With a bucket, when you pour water in, water doesn't flow through it. It gets dirty and grimy because it stays there and it can't get out because it's trapped inside. When you pour water through a basket, the youth know this because I did it in the floor. (laughs) Water just pours straight through it. Jonah was supposed to be a basket, but he was a bucket. He had God's mercy poured into him. He was an Israelite, one of God's chosen people, but he didn't want to share it with anyone else. He wanted to stay comfortable, and so he kept God's grace and mercy trapped inside of him, and it did not, and he didn't want it to flow out to the world around him. God wanted Jonah to be a basket. And God wants us to be a basket. He wants our church to be a basket. He wants his mercy to flow out from us into the world around us. And in order for that to happen, God's mercy must flow into us first. Has God's mercy flowed into you? Has your heart been melted by the mercy of God? I hope so, because that's how your heart gets shaped like God's heart. My prayer for our church is that God would make our heart like his heart. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for not having a heart like yours? Thank you for using scripture, but also particularly the book of Jonah to make clear to us your heart. Would you lead us to repentance this morning over our pride and over our comfort? And would we experience your mercy as we come to the table in a very real and personal way? So that that mercy might flow into the world around us so that Birmingham and our communities will never be the same. In Jesus name. Amen.